You're listening to an audio sermon from Hope Bible Church in Oakville, Ontario. For more information, please visit our website at hopeoakville.ca. Today we begin a new series going through the exposition of Romans chapters 6 to 8. We're going to have a bit of an extended introduction, which is very necessary and hope very understood, and I pray will also be very encouraging for each of you as well as we do so, and it will set us up for the weeks to come. I want to start with our series title, which is this, Life is Too Short Not to Grow in Christ. Life is Too Short Not to Grow in Christ. Now let's uh, ask the question to that statement, why? Why is this statement true? Well, because the theology of the Bible teaches us, listen carefully, this is a day that a lot's coming at you right now and a lot will be downloaded to you in the next several minutes. So I'm praying the Holy Spirit will give us alert minds and hungry hearts and sit up straight and ready to learn and take good notes, okay? So why is that statement true? Because the Bible teaches us that genuine salvation, listen, genuine salvation necessitates genuine transformation in Christ. You can't be truly saved and remain unchanged. The Bible teaches us if you're truly saved, you must change. The rate of that, you know, it's different from each person, but you can't stay dormant. Salvation requires transformation in Christ. Okay, so um, a healthy apple tree will bear the fruit of apples. A healthy orange tree will bear the fruit of oranges. A justified, saved believer will, by necessity of the teachings and the Holy Spirit in us, will bear the fruit of sanctification which is a theological word describing becoming more like Jesus Christ. So growth in Christ, therefore, is the highest call of the believer. That we are called to grow in Christ is the supreme calling of our lives, which gives God the most glory. We have one life. We have one opportunity. This life is short. We must make it count. But how? See, the greatest way our lives count is being transformed into the image of Jesus Christ. Think of everything else flows from that reality. The impact of our lives, the way we live, the fruit we bear, the songs we sing, the direction of our lives. So therefore, the calling to grow more like Jesus Christ is way more important than academics, than our choice of career, than any success the world might define. It's way more important than our bank accounts, way more important than any fame or social status. It is way, way, way more important, the calling of life change in the Lord Jesus Christ. So therefore, life is too short not to grow in Christ. One life, one opportunity, one awesome calling. In fact, this calling is so significant for the genuine believer. If you're saved in Christ, you feel this. The Holy Spirit is constantly wooing you to life change in Jesus Christ. It will therefore heavily, heavily influence the career you choose. It will heavily influence the place you choose to live the church you choose to attend, because life change in Christ is our highest calling. It will greatly influence the priorities of our family, the hobbies that we engage in. It will greatly, greatly influence the ambition of our lives, the way we treat finances, the retirement we might face. The call to grow in Jesus Christ will for sure influence our most significant relationships, 
who we choose to give ourselves to, who we are vulnerable with, none the least, of course, which is marriage. The call to grow in Christ is the very purpose of our lives, so therefore it impacts everything else we do, or at least that's what's supposed to happen. We also know that one day we'll stand before Christ. The New Testament teaches us, 2 Corinthians 5 and elsewhere, as believers, there will be a judgment. As believers, we'll stand before Christ and we'll have to give an account for what we've done with what's been entrusted to us. The parable of the minas, again, 2 Corinthians 5, is it going to be, again, wood, hay, or gold, or precious stones? We will have to give an account of what God has entrusted to us. This is a very, very serious calling. This is a very, very important series. Life is too short not to grow in Christ. And here's what we know. The greatest regret for many at the end will stand before Christ. He'll say, what have you done with what I've entrusted you with? And the greatest regret for many will be the fact that they wasted so much time and so much of what God had entrusted them with. That will not determine their salvation as a believer. It will determine rewards of some kind. But the great regret of many will be, I wasted so much of my life. But here we are right now, loved ones, there's still time. There's still time. You can change everything today. There's still time for you and there's still time for me. That we can make our lives count for the glory of Jesus Christ to see sanctification increase in our lives. God help us. Now here's an important question as we begin today. We talk about change and life changing Christ. Why is it so difficult then? Why is it so frustrating, isn't it? I mean, if your life is like mine, man, it's frustrating. My sin frustrates me on a daily basis. Why is it so opposed? Why is life in Christ changing in him so hard? And why is it so opposed? I mean, think why already in the first few minutes at the introduction of this series and this message right now, already there are accusations flying all over the place by Satan trying to bring condemnation on the fact that you haven't changed enough in Jesus Christ. Remember, the Holy Spirit is not about condemnation. The Holy Spirit is about conviction. There's a massive difference. That's already happening already. This very notion, this series, already being opposed. Why is that the truth? Because growth in Christ is the highest calling of our lives. Growth in Christ is power. Growth in Christ is purity. Growth in Christ gives glory to Jesus Christ. So that's why few things are opposed more than what we're about to do right now. Our flesh hates life change in Christ and Satan is absolutely terrified of a church committed to growing more like Jesus Christ. That's why it is so difficult, opposed, and so hard. Now, I want to get this series in front of us right now. The next couple of months, we're going to be unleashing Romans chapter 6 to 8 again. And the purpose of Romans chapter 6 to 8 is a powerful call for sanctification for the believer in Jesus Christ. The essence of this call is life is too short not to grow in Christ. And our first passage today will be a beautiful introduction for all that is to follow. I want to say this to you right now, okay, this series that we start today. I personally am excited. I personally am expectant. And I want to say this to you. I personally need this. I need this series. I need to unpack again a robust theology of sanctification and all the promises of Christ in it and the power of the Holy Spirit that is found within it and the reality of life change and perspective and the time that we have while we still have it, one life, one opportunity, one main calling growth in the Lord Jesus Christ. I am excited, listen loved ones, I need it. I need it. 
I'm praying my own study in these passages will result in such life change, conviction, and expectation resulting in God's glory. Please, Lord, would you work and move. So if you haven't already, please open your Bibles to Romans chapter 6. And as you do that, if you have done that, I want to get some simple context. Obviously, if we're in Romans 6, the chapter before that is Romans 5. I want to have a very simplified context of Romans 5 on the screen for you. The context of Romans 5 is this, through the gospel. It's dealing with justification. More to come on that in a few seconds. Through the gospel, we have been justified by faith. Therefore, we have peace with God. And verse 9 of Romans 5 says, and we shall be saved from the wrath of God that is to come. Now stare at those for a second. Look at all those. What do all those truths have in common for those who are saved in Jesus Christ? This is dealing with our salvation in the past. Romans 5 is dealing with our justification. We have been saved. Romans 5 verse 1. Salvation in the past. When we have been justified, we are now not at enmity. We're not enemies of God. We're now friends of God. We have peace with God. We are reconciled to God. And because we are justified, we can even say that our future is guaranteed. We shall be spared the wrath of God when it comes. Because we have been saved, we have been justified by faith in Jesus Christ. So what Paul does in Romans 5, he's powerfully unpacking the gospel relating to our justification. Again, we have been saved. But here's the question, okay? So Romans 5, all about the reality of our salvation in the past. We've been justified by grace through faith. Here's the question. So we're justified. We're declared innocent of our sins in the past. But what do we do now then as believers? What do we do in the present? Do we just sit around now? Do we just twiddle our thumbs? Do we just entertain ourselves to death as we await for the return of Christ? Because after all, we're saved. So now we just kind of pass time and wait until the perfection of our salvation. Is that what we do? Well, the Bible tells today emphatically the answer to that question. You just sit around? No, absolutely not. The calling of our present And our present reality of our salvation in Christ, the calling of our present is that we must be transformed into the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen carefully to this, okay? Justification theologically necessitates sanctification. Say it again. Justification theologically necessitates absolutely requires, biblically speaking, and in the power of the Holy Spirit, sanctification. Now, some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. Some of you right now, you could teach this as well as I could, whatever, and justification, sanctification, you're all there. But some of you are like, just a what? And sanctify what? Like some of you have never heard these things. We're so glad you're every healthy church has people all over the spectrum. New babes in Christ and people who are mature in the Lord Jesus Christ. But just to get on the same page as we begin this series Never apologize for teaching this stuff again because every time I do it again, I just, and a hundred times I'm so excited. Here's the difference between justification and sanctification. If you don't know this, learn it now. 
Let it stay with you for the rest of your life. I mean, dig deep right now. Go over this. Review it this week. Teach it to others. This is so important in understanding the gospel of Christ and what the Bible so clearly teaches. It's not supposed to always be easy studying the Bible. It requires hard work, but it is clear, and the Holy Spirit reveals the truth that he desires us to know. So what is justification? Justification is our salvation in the past. I have been saved. Saved from what? This is so key. Saved from the penalty of sin. Justification is a courtroom legal term. It's the declaration of innocence. So you're standing before God in the courtroom before Christ, and the gavel comes down guilty because of your sin. Not one sin gets into heaven. Rightly so. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Right? So, but when you're in Christ, his righteousness is imputed. It is assigned to you, not by your works, not by your merit, by the grace of God in Jesus Christ. It is assigned to you, and the gavel comes down because Christ is in you, and it's innocent. Justification is a one time, instantaneous declaration of innocent that the penalty of sin has been removed from your life. You are now granted, again, righteousness, which leads to salvation and eternal life in heaven. So justification deals with our position in Christ. Before we are justified, position is guilt, guilty, destined for death. After justification in Christ, our position is innocence. We are declared righteous because of what Christ has done for us. Let's now go to sanctification. Sanctification, right, necessitates or justification necessitates sanctification. Sanctification now is present salvation. I am currently being saved. I am changing. I am being saved what? Not from the penalty now, not from the declared statement. Now I'm being saved from the power of sin in my life. Sin now is starting to be diminished. I am looking more and more like Jesus Christ. Notice it's not a one-time event. Sanctification now is an ongoing, lifelong pursuit of growth in the Lord Jesus Christ. If justification describes our position, sanctification describes our practice, the practical outworkings of us changing in the Lord Jesus Christ. Again, William McDonald says this so well, right? When you put these two together, our practice, sanctification, should increasingly correspond with our position, justification. Because right, you can't have this without this, and you'll never see this without this. Where there's true justification, there must be, 100% of the time, a beginning of the process of sanctification. But you will never have true sanctification without the reality of someone being justified, declared innocent in the sight of God, and having the righteousness of Christ fill their lives, causing them, again, to be righteous before the Lord and therefore not found guilty. That's a lot there, isn't it? But I'm telling you, like, you need to know this stuff. A lot of you do, some of you don't, man. It should be exciting, and light bulbs hopefully maybe are beginning to go off too. The larger Westminster Catechism asks this very question. What is the difference between justification and sanctification? This is wordy. You guys are smart. Let's read this together, and we'll go through it a little bit slow and see if we can get it, okay? What's the difference? Another way to say the same thing. Although sanctification be inseparably joined with justification, they, you can't separate these, justified, sanctified, sanctified, they have to go together. They do differ, though. Here's how they differ. That God in justification imputes the righteousness of Christ, legal declaration, 
In sanctification, his spirit infuses grace practically that we can be changed and become more like the Lord Jesus Christ. This last sentence is awesome. I love it, okay? In the former justification, sin is pardoned. In the former legal term, sin is pardoned. In the latter, in sanctification, sin is now subdued. Now think about that for a second and make sure you understand that. Justification pardons us from sin. Sanctification subdues sin, starts to see sin diminished. We begin to look more and more in our lives and bear the fruit of the Lord Jesus Christ. So this is setting up everything we're about to do from Romans 5 as we enter into Romans 6. Justification leads to the massive call for sanctification, for transformation and change in Jesus Christ. So these chapters, what they're going to become, what these chapters are going to become is a wonderful call against apathy, a wonderful call against complacency, and a wonderful call against lethargy. Would any of those apply to you in the last several months or let's say two years? We are being set up right now by the Lord that he's gonna call us to change and transformation in him. And I just want you to know too that one of the kind of vision statements and missions of our church is all the way along is we want to see people realize their full potential in Jesus Christ. And so I'm gonna warn you, the Holy Spirit's gonna come after you right now. He's gonna come after you because he loves you. He's gonna do it lovingly. He's gonna do it with such grace. He's gonna be gentle, but he's also, he's already just saying, he's gonna be firm. He's gonna be firm. He's come to convict. The Holy Spirit's gonna come after me. He's gonna after you. Again, because he loves us. It's all love. It's all love. But he's gonna wanna change us. He's gonna wanna change us. He says, I have more for you. I can do more in you. Do not settle. Mediocrity is not God's will. It is time that we grow like the Lord Jesus Christ. Hope Bible Church, get ready. The Holy Spirit is coming for us. And we, I pray, are excited about it. All right? Not gonna be easy. You wanna clap for that? Amen. That's awesome. Way to go, church. Well, the first service didn't clap for that point, so that's exciting. Okay, so Romans 6, 1 to 5, here we go. Let's read the verses together, and we will begin again. Extra introduction, but I trust you understand why, and you're encouraged by it. Romans 6, 1. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means, exclamation mark. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with Christ by baptism into death in order that, notice the outworking of that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. We're changed. We're new creations, man. We'll never be the same again. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. Okay, so this is the powerful call to sanctification. Let's get to point one then. The call for sanctification understands this. I cannot, I can no longer continue in sin. I cannot continue in sin in sin as a justified believer on the process of sanctification. Look at verse one again. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means, by no means, how can we who died to sin still live in it? Let me be super clear here as we begin, okay? What Paul is not saying here, and we'll see this all throughout this series, what Paul is not saying is that Christians will not be tempted to sin. What Paul is not saying is that Christians will not sin. 
What Paul is not saying, that we as believers are incapable of sinning. He's not saying that. Okay, it's a great time. Turn to your neighbor and say, he's not saying that. Go ahead, go ahead. Turn to your neighbor. He's not saying that. Okay, he's not saying that. Some of you enjoy that more than others, right? He's not saying that, okay, because the remainder of these chapters will be detailing our very battle against sin. Like the whole rest of this series is, is detailing and defining our battle against sin. So when he says here, what is he saying then? Well, in Romans chapter 5, Paul clearly is teaching that the grace of Christ received by faith in Christ, results in the righteousness of Christ, right? I receive again by faith and grace the righteousness. His righteousness now is placed upon a sign to me, imputed to me. So what he does when that truth, because it is true, that is so true. So he anticipates his opponents and sincere questions of believers. He anticipates the questions of people saying, well, if grace covers all my sin, past, present, future, if I have the imputed righteousness of Christ upon my life, which I do as a genuine believer, then he anticipates the question, can I not then just sin my face off? Like, why does it matter? Can I just sin to my heart's content? Because, it, you know, like if, if I'm forgiven and grace covers everything, then let's just have a sin party because wouldn't God be more glorified by more grace over my more sin? Well, notice Paul's answer here in verse 2. His emphatic response is, and it's emphatic, it's indignant, by no means... Absolutely not. The Phillips translation has, what a ghastly thought that is. Other translations say, may it never be. Perish the thought. In fact, this phrase, by no means, it is the strongest idiom of repudiation in the New Testament Greek. Like, how's that for significance and meaning? By no means is the strongest idiom of repudiation in New Testament Greek. So you can tell how passionate Paul is in response to these questions or this idea, in some cases, this false teaching of that sinner faces off because grace covers everything. But now we ask, why is Paul so passionate about this point? He's so passionate or indignant because of the theological reality. See, Christ died to save us from sin but not so that we could live in sin. That's preposterous, if not blasphemous. Christ didn't die to sin or die to save us from sin that we can sin all the more. He died that we would die to sin, that we would be raised to newness of life and bear so much fruit. Here's a good quote on the screen for you. It says this, or another way to say this. Justification declared innocence by God in Christ was not intended as a license to sin. The whole point of justification is liberation from sin. We are justified to be set free from being enslaved to sin. That's all next week, by the way. Excited for that passage already. It's not about having a license to sin as false teachers could teach throughout the history or history. It's rather a reality of liberation from sin. So notice how Paul says in follow-up question in verse 2, his follow-up question now is, look, he says, he says, how can we who died to sin still live in it? Exactly. If we've died to sin, to the domination of sin, to the enslavement of sin, to the penalty of sin, if we've died to that, how can we possibly still live in it? When someone is saved in Christ... They have died with Christ, okay? 
if you have died with Christ, then you have died to sin with Christ. If you have died to sin, the penalty of sin has been removed, justification, and the power of sin is now being diminished, sanctification. Salvation then brings a total change of relationship, and the Bible says we are actually new creations, new creatures. The old is gone, the new has come. We are literally reborn. We are given new life. We were dead, now we are alive. We get blind, we are blind, now we can see. We have died to sin. We are completely new. If you have died to sin, the question right here in the Bible is, then how can we who died to sin still live in it? What's really important here, the key phrase in verse one, notice the phrase says, continue in sin. Are we to continue in sin? In sin. This is referring to habitual sin. That's a very important distinction and explanation. So, a gen- listen carefully, I'm going to important. Who's this for right now, okay? A genuine believer cannot continue in habitual sin. It's theologically impossible in the long run for a believer to continually be engrossed and enslaved to continual sin. Sin. Here's how Donald Barnhouse describes it as well. This is very important. This is a good time of reflection, okay? Holiness starts where justification finishes. Think about that. Think about that for a second. Sanctification begins where justification ends. And if holiness does not start, if we see no fruit in our lives, if there's no genuine life change over the course of time, we have the right to suspect that justification never started in the first place. Okay, Jesus says, John 15, you shall prove to be my disciples and bear much fruit. Or you shall bear much fruit and prove to be my disciples. See, the evidence that we are genuinely justified is the process of our sanctification. So if someone professes to be alive in Christ and saved in Christ, but over the course of time and years go by and there's been no genuine life change, it is appropriate to ponder and ask, and hopefully the individual himself or herself will do that and say, am I really alive in Christ? Because if I'm really alive in Christ, I must see change, no exceptions. I must see growth in Jesus Christ because I have died to sin with Christ if I'm genuinely saved in the Lord Jesus Christ. So one of the bottom lines for right now and for today is this, the genuine Christian cannot live in habitual sin, right? Because we're no longer in Adam. Old self has died. Like, he's gone. If you die to something, it's kind of hard to still live in it. The old self is dead. Adam is dead. Jesus Christ now alive in us. When you're dead, you don't live in that former place or self anymore. You're, you're dead. But when you're alive in Christ, things must Look different. That's the point that Paul's making right here. So therefore, the call for sanctification says, I cannot continue in sin. We'll talk about more about that today and as the weeks go by as well. Because Jesus Christ has set us free from the domination of sin. The call for sanctification understands this. Number two. The call for sanctification also understands I now walk in newness 
of life. I now walk in newness of life. So look at verses three and four now. He says, do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism, with him by baptism, into, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Okay, so here's the thrust of our passage today. If we died with Christ then we also have been raised with Christ, and the text says here, to newness of life. And if we have newness of life, we're going to change. We have to. I've heard sanctification described this way like 20 years ago, never forgotten it. It's been so helpful for me. Maybe you've heard it too. Sanctification is like bouncing a yo-yo, walking upstairs. Okay, so... You bounce a yo-yo, good days, bad days, right? We all experience those, right? You're with me, I had a couple bad days this week, kind of discouraging, right? But you don't stay there, praise the Lord, right? So good day, bad day, good day, bad day, good day, bad day. But it's not like this, okay? Sanctification, bouncing a yo-yo, walking upstairs, okay? So when you're in your good days, you're like, yeah, yeah, God's been great. And your bad day, you're like, wow, I stink, I stink, I stink. It's not going so well, right? But you have good days and bad days, very, very normal. But the key is the trajectory over time is this, and that's sanctification. So don't get so up when you're up, don't get so down when you're down. But the reality is you can look back when you were saved in Christ, you're like, man, I'm so different. The down days feel down, the good days feel good. But the reality is the line and the trajectory is growing more and more like Jesus Christ. Why? Because we have been given newness of life. Now here's what's so key for me right now and so key for you. Notice the second point is not, I must now try to walk in newness of life. Notice the point is, I now walk in newness of life. It's not, I hope this will happen. It's not, I have to figure it out myself so it will happen. If I'm justified in Christ, it has happened guaranteed. If you're saved, you have been given now by grace to walk in newness of life. You are new. You are alive. If you are saved, you don't do anything to earn this. You don't do this yourself. You are given, again, newness of life. Absolutely guaranteed. So if sin characterized your old life for all of us in our sin, righteousness now characterizes our new life in Christ. I see, that's just, that's just a stated reality for every person who's saved. Sin was old self. The new self in Christ is now righteousness. Righteousness of Christ characterizes you, so now you are walking in newness of life. It's amazing how much the Bible emphasizes newness. Take a look at this. I love this study this week, okay? Look at the descriptions of Scripture indicating what God does with those that he saves and adopts into his family. Take a look at this. You're given a new heart. Sounds like a big deal, because it is. You're given a new spirit, Ezekiel 18. I love this. You're given a new song to sing. Isn't that so true? So I was, I was literally saved through a song where the gospel was presented. And trust me, it gave me a new song to sing. I've never sung before. And I've never been the same again. You sing a new song. You have a new name, Revelation 2 explains. You're a new creation. 
A new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. We're new creatures, Galatians 6. And we are given a new self. Do you think God emphasizing newness? Absolutely. And then in our text today, Romans 6, that we might walk in newness of life. So encouraging and profound. The change that the Lord brings. So over Christmas break, I read the autobiography of Chuck Colson called Born Again. Loved it. Appreciate him a lot. He passed away in 2012, I think. He was the former White House hatchet man under Nixon. And like despised by so many, kind of ruthless. He was the guy that Nixon got to do whatever the kind of need to be done and down and dirty and all that kind of stuff. And he just didn't care. He was saved in Christ. He, he bottomed out. He was saved in Christ. He was born again. He was absolutely new. And over the course of time, God used him to literally impact hundreds of thousands of men and women in prison ministries and all sorts of other ministries across this world. And to, to see him detail his conversion, to see him express the darkness to the light, the death to the life, the blindness to sight, it's just, it was so encouraging for me. And people were just astounded and in wonder how this former White House hatchet man is now being used to spread light of the gospel all this world and of course his voice still speaks today so powerfully through his writings and other recordings and just I'm so thankful and I was just reading this and just like look at what Christ does when someone comes to genuine salvation in him it's just the difference is astounding from death to life, from lost to found, from nothing and, 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 and perpetuating evil in many ways Certainly corruption, and then he is used to see so many people's lives changed in the heat and darkness of it all in prison ministries. It's just beautiful. Because when we die to sin in Christ, we are raised with Christ to newness of life. Loved ones, if you are saved in Christ right now, you walk in newness of life. That's not a maybe, and it's not a hope it works out that way. If you are genuinely saved, this is your reality. You are in newness of life. So let me ask you this. What is your besetting sin right now? What is the sin that most aggravates you, that haunts you? Some of you got it right away. Like right away. You know, right now. Holy Spirit's like, we've talked about this a long time. What is your besetting sin? What is the thing that brings you down? What is the thing that kills your relationships? What is the thing that's ruining your walk with God? What is the thing that's tormenting you? What is your besetting sin? Now, if you're alive in the Lord Jesus Christ, do you think his newness is greater than your besetting sin? Ah, uh, yes. Yes, it is. Some of you have been held under bondage and lies and deceptions of the enemy for so many months, maybe years right now, and you just start believing in the Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, you have been given everything you've ever needed to see this sin conquered and lies defeated and truth be told, the power of the Holy Spirit living within you. And sometimes what happens is we get discouraged and we start to give up and our apathy takes over and we just kind of lie down in our sin and begin to swim in it and start to drown. That's not the call of the life of the believer in Jesus Christ. And trust me, this isn't you trying harder to get out of it. This is receiving the grace and the power of God's spirit and being empowered by the truth that he sets you free by the text right now. Listen, you have been given the reality of newness in life. And I'm as I reflected on that this week, I was so encouraged as I go through the sins that haunt me in my life and I've been tempted to believe, oh, it won't change. That's wrong. That is false. That is not true. It can change and does change and will change because of the power of Christ in my life through his word and his spirit. You see? 
You look at that and think about that and the damage, the battle already rises up right now against the lives of the enemy and our flesh to say, no, I am new in Christ. And he desires, again, to see increased purity and power and glory given to him through every facet of my life. Fills me with hope and encourages me greatly. And that's one of the main points and hearts of Romans 6 to 8 that we're going to go through. He's going to call us consistently to the reality of all that he wants to do within our lives. The call for sanctification understands that I now walk in newness of life. Point number three. The call for sanctification understands that I live with resurrection hope. I live now with resurrection hope. Hope. Look at verse five. <clears throat> verse five, it says, for if we have been united with him in a death like his, so notice the phrase said twice, okay? We shall certainly be, here it is, united with him. See that united with him once, united with him twice. We shall be united with him in a resurrection like his. So that phrase, united with him, I love it. It's, it's our union with Christ, Love the theology of our union with Christ. It's very similar language to John 15. As a branch, look here, look here. As a branch is attached to the vine. When a branch is genuinely attached to the vine of Jesus Christ, right? Now we're talking about salvation now. This branch will never be ununited. If you are attached genuinely to the vine of Jesus Christ as a branch, as a follower of Jesus Christ, saved, justified in the process of sanctification, you shall never, ever be detached from Christ. And so what verse 5 is saying, if we are united with Christ in his death, well, you better believe by the promises of God that you'll be united with Christ in his resurrection. In fact, it is theologically impossible to be united with Christ in his death and not his resurrection. You don't go down in his death and somehow become detached and come out and you're not there with his resurrection. If you are united with him in his death, you will be united with him 100% guaranteed on the very promises of God, you'll be united with him in his resurrection. So therefore now, we walk with the understanding and the promises of God, the reality of the hope of the resurrection that has filled us and saves us. Romans 8, for in this hope, we were saved. The reality that we will soon be transformed in the very presence of God, being set free from all sin once and for all again in perfection. If we're united with him in death, we will be united with him in his resurrection. So our call to sanctification as a true believer in Christ says, I am changing, but I know one day I will be forever and perfectly changed in his presence forever. So this now gives me such incredible hope for the life that I now live, regardless of what comes against us, regardless of how dark our world gets, regardless of how I feel on any given day. This is my truth. If I am saved in Christ in his death, I will be united with him in his resurrection. Warren Wearsby, he astutely says this. He says, unbelievers have a present controlled by their past. Their past defines their present. He says this, but believers have a present controlled by their future. And that's awesome. See that? Our present is controlled by the reality of our future. And our future is 100% guaranteed and certain in the glory and the return of Jesus Christ. So let's just recap today. Sanctification draws us like a magnet 
away from habitual or continuing in sin. Sanctification declares or announces like a trumpet that we have life in Christ. We have died. We have died to sin. And sanctification fills us with a resurrection hope that one day we will be set free forever and given victory over the very presence of sin. Let me ask you, let me ask you today, where are you at today? Take a moment right now, like, where are you at today? Where are you at with all this? Where are you at before Christ? What has the Holy Spirit revealed to you today through his word? Where is Jesus calling you today? Are you in, are you out? Where are you in the path of growth? Are you settling for too little in Christ? I mean, think of all that Jesus sets for just in this introduction. Are we settling for too little in Christ? How much more will he do through hearts fully surrendered to him in the life that we have been given to live? He has given us the power. He has given us the grace. He has given us the commands here. Life is short, loved ones. Let us seek to grow in Christ. I'm excited for what's ahead. I pray you are too. Let's just pray simply together here now. Father, I pray your call will be crystal clear both today and in this series. Father, I pray our response will be beautiful obedience even today, Lord, for those that you are speaking to so clearly. I pray the response is obedience and I pray your Holy Spirit will fill us with power. Why? That we might grow more like Jesus Christ. Even as we...